Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for January 30th. I'm your host, Amanda Williams. This week, we talk with experts on the outlook for rice in Arkansas in 2020 and the potential impact of the EPA's final rule defining waters of the U.S. We also get some helpful tips on preventing timber theft on farms, ranches, and other private property. First, Ken Moore sat down with John Bailey, Arkansas Farm Bureau's Director of Environmental and Regulatory Affairs, to talk about the Environmental Protection Agency's final waters of the U.S. rule. After many years of concern and uncertainty centered on the definition of navigable stream or body of water on private property, the new rule is good news for farmers and ranchers and all property owners. This past week, the Environmental Protection Agency released its final rule defining waters of the U.S., or more commonly known as WOTUS. The final regulation excludes from EPA jurisdiction multiple water features. And today, I'm speaking with John Bailey. John is Director of Environmental and Regulatory Affairs for the Arkansas Farm Bureau and has been monitoring this issue for a number of years for Farm Bureau. And uh, John, uh, sounds like finally, with this ruling by EPA and the Corps of Engineers, we can finally put WOTUS to bed. We worked for many years to ditch the rule, as we called it, a number of years ago, and now we finally have. Yeah, we're actually pretty excited about the new rule. Uh, We feel that uh, this new definition actually is consistent with what Congress intended with the Clean Water Act way back in 1972. Um, We think this is a definition that is going to be clear to farmers. They'll understand it, and they don't have to go out and hire consultants to be able to make this determination. So we're really excited about the new definition. If you can, clarify or describe what the new definition entails. I I want to quote American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duvall when he was commenting on the new rule that was announced last week. He says, this will allow farmers to farm clean water with clear rules. What does this new rule entail? So the key behind the Clean Water Act is, is defining what are, what are considered navigable waters. Um, with the previous definition, it seemed that they went above and beyond what navigable waters are um, to include ephemeral streams um, and seasonal streams. Um, this definition gets back, once again, to what Congress intended and, and goes with defining what navigable waters are. Uh, we do believe that the rule is still uh, protective. Um, certainly for the state of Arkansas, it is as well. Um, this doesn't mean that now people who should have had permits no longer need permits. No, that definition, definition doesn't change. Uh, people who have needed permits in the past will continue to need these permits. But what it does do for farmers uh, is it allows us to be able to go out in our fields and define what waters of the U.S. now are. What well, it allows a landowner or a farmer, rancher, to go onto their property and clear a ditch. And, and, and we know that farmers and ranchers are the nation's best environmentalists to begin with. They're not going to do anything to harm habitat or, or our, the water supply of, of our country, but this allows them not to have to worry so much, right, about somebody reporting them because they put a bulldozer on a ditch and tried to dredge it out a little bit. Well, I think it even goes further. Um, sometimes when you're taking a look at a map, you may have the Corps of Engineer coming in, 
um, and in the middle of your field to delineate some sort of ephemeral stream and say, hey, that's, that's waters of the U.S. You can't grow anything here. And when in reality, it's just a small swell. So I think this definition helps farmers out and protects them from being potentially harassed from the core on this particular issue. They can go out and they can farm something they've been farming for the past 15 years, 20 years, 50 years. What brought us to this point? Thankfully, the EPA and Corps of Engineers finally understand this rule needed to be revised. Well, I think it's the persistence of the American Farm Bureau and Arkansas Farm Bureau to let our legislators, um, our, our, our Congress folks know that this is this is very important to us. You know, a lot of industries can go out and afford um, to, to hire consultants to go out and make these determinations, spend money to do certain things that really aren't necessary. And, and really farm families don't have that kind of money to just throw around to do that, uh, to go out and hire a consultant to eventually say, well, this is not a waters of the U.S., so that's why it's important for us to make sure that everybody understands that it's important that these families be able to focus their resources on something uh, to help grow um, and, and, and uh, feed, uh, feed Arkansas. So instead of spending it hiring consultants to be able to go out and do this work. And if I remember correctly, uh, one of the very first uh, acts that President Trump took upon being elected a couple of years ago was to let uh, U.S. agriculture know he was going to work to, you know, enact this change and this revision. He understood the need for it, the fact that the previous version of WOTUS, Waters of the U.S., was very onerous. Absolutely. Um, I think that was one of the first things he went in uh, and did. He, he basically had told everybody that he wants to cut down on the number of rules. We've got too many rules. So for his his. Uh, staff, he he put it out there to say, look, for every rule you want to put in, we need to take two or three out. And so this is one that obviously needed to be changed. And assure those who might be concerned that uh, this new rule, this final rule about waters of the U.S., in no way will lead to, you know, harm to the environment. No, uh, I, the standards didn't change. So no matter what uh, industry may be discharging to waters of the state or waters of the U.S., those standards are still in place. Um, the same folks that are, have permits now are going to have to continue to, to get those permits. It just simply clearly defines what those, uh, what those waters of the U.S. are, um, and it, it makes it easier for everybody to understand. And, and even more importantly, they don't lose property that they, they have farmed in the past. You know, if the if the Corps came in and made a decision or determination that it was considered waters of the U.S., they could potentially lose their farmland um, and say that you can't farm on there because it may may have been considered a waters of the U.S. Well, this is great news, isn't it? Oh, it's fantastic news. John, thank you so much for clarifying this for us and discussing this briefly. It's been a long time coming. And uh, now, in 2020, we can kind of move on and, and farmers and ranchers can relax a little bit when, it can, when they're uh, dealing with these permits, and this rule under the Clean Water Act. I've been speaking with John Bailey, Environmental and Regulatory Affairs Director for the Arkansas Farm Bureau on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Next, Ken talks about the 2020 outlook for rice with Extension rice agronomist Jerry Hartke. Hartke explains reasons why industry officials are optimistic 2020 will be a better year for rice production in Arkansas and how 2019 turned out better than expected. On this week's edition of Arkansas AgCast, I'm speaking with Dr. Jared Hardke. Jared is the Extension Rice Agronomist 
for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. And Jared, uh, it's been several months since you and I had a chance to visit and, and talk about uh, the rice crop. And of course, the last time I think you and I got together was right in the middle of the growing season last year after all the delays in planting, the wet weather, the flooding. But then, as I understand it, we ended up 2019 with a pretty decent harvest, maybe a little better than expected. Talk about how 2019 ended for our rice production. Certainly. Uh, thank you for having me. 2019 was, it was something, uh, to, to give it a word. It was something. Uh, the, the delayed early uh, planting season, as we've harped on numerous times, was the slowest in 25 years. Certainly not the slowest on record, but the slowest in a very long time. And really, as we did come around to harvest, we, we continued that wet weather, a really mild condition throughout the, the summer, and headed toward harvest, thinking we were going to continue receiving much of the same and, and have a, a difficult harvest ahead. As it happened, we got about a one-month window. Uh, we referred to it, many began referring to it as a late summer. Really, the last two weeks of August, roughly first two weeks of September, we finally got into our mid to uh, you know, 90 degree temperatures, hot, sunny, dry, and, and that month was a tremendous run for harvest and the progress that we were able to make there. Actually, those conditions were conducive to, to very good milling quality, very good yields. Now, finally, you know, mid-September came and, and the, the rain and humidity came back in. And, and started to give us some more difficulty and, and some milling quality issues. But overall, we were, we were pleasantly surprised with the yields that we were able to maintain in 2019. So it came in, the, the official number is 166.2 bushels per acre, which puts us behind the 168 of both 2013 and 14, and we've had another year or two in there, about 166.7 or so. Uh, so, so we're still very close to to the record that we set not long ago, even with how extremely late that we planted. One of the most common questions I got throughout the year, throughout planting, throughout harvest, trying to predict and expect what those yields were going to do with that late planting, and something that we maintain through through data that we've been collecting over the years through planting date studies that uh, we've been fortunate enough to to have funding to do that through the Arkansas rice checkoff uh, coming from rice growers to do that. We actually had a lot of data that said if, if this summer continues cool and mild like, like the spring had been that was delaying our planting, we're actually set up to, to maintain some pretty high yields, even planted very late. And we were fortunate that, that that did continue that way, and that's, that's a little bit of what I point to in that regard. That That's not a single-time occurrence. We have other years where that's happened, certainly not planting this late, uh, this dramatic, but, but that later trend, uh, a lot of information to support that, and, and it did follow that same trend that we had. So, again, still ended up uh, getting the, the last part of the crop out under wetter conditions and we prefer some more ruts and still really not much certain locations got a little opportunity to get just a little bit of soil field preparation done post-harvest but it was pretty limited and pretty spotty high areas or locations that happened to miss one of the rains that dodged around them and, and so that's kind of where we sit as of now again pretty pleased overall with, with 2019 rice harvest but 
keeping in mind that our prevented planting rice acres was over 500,000 acres last year. Again, all due to the continuous rainfall not allowing us in the field. I talked to a couple of farmers personally who didn't even plant a seed last year. It got so late, they just said, I'm going to set aside everything, which was, that's highly unusual, you know. But they had that opportunity to do that with that prevented planting program. So how many acres did we actually end up harvesting last year? I know our total overall acreage was down somewhat. Yes, we went from about a little over 1.4 million acres in 2018 down to just a little over 1.1 million. So over a 20% decrease in in acres. And again, the forecast was for us to remain pretty flat in acres to plant roughly that 1.4 million acres again. That that was really where the economics of a different crop mix and everything goes. We, We normally have this kind of up and down a little bit annually, but just kind of the way things lined up economically, it kind of had us being a little stable in rice. And then, of course, we just we were never allowed to, to get anywhere near it. Certainly wasn't just rice. Soybeans dropped five or 600,000 acres uh, comparatively to, to the year before. So you know, everything felt the effects. Uh, let's look ahead to 2020 now. I mean, we're three weeks into the new year, and I understand that uh, – if everything comes together and we have some good weather for planting in a, in two to three months, uh, we could see a bump up in acreage once again this year. That, that's the direction right now. I mean, a lot of those decisions started being made back before the new year in in November and December, making making uh, early seed orders and and things that that happen every year that way. But yes, we're we're in January and getting much more focused on those decisions and so those seed per- early seed purchases are really starting to pick up speed right now and everyone's very closely watching the, the various commodity markets rice looks pretty good right now uh, for fall prices not certainly not bad it, it's looked worse in in a recent couple of years uh, but also paying very close attention to soybean prices usually as we get into mid-february or so is when i really start feeling like I have some better direction to give because the soybean prices are going to climb. That's usually when it happens. And we start perhaps seeing some some pull off of rice acres back towards soybean. But all things being as they are right now, we're easily headed toward getting back to 2018 acreage levels, You know, which again was over 1.4 million acres. The reality is we're probably staring at 1.5 million acres of rice right now if soybean prices don't continue to improve. We think they will, but if they don't really, the economics really do point toward rice at this point in time. And kind of, again, trying to figure that out. If, if soybeans get over $10, and to be honest, they're, they're not in the grand scheme. They continue to gradually climb. They're not that far away from it. You know, if we're talking a month from now, uh, what they could be. Uh, then suddenly that's now we're kind of nose to nose uh, between rice and soybean. You can easily start saying, well, uh, again, soybean is lower total input cost. It's less operating loan cost, again, to put in a crop. And if you're looking at similar net returns, that's that's when we start seeing some of that. Yeah, I'm going to drop a few rice acres towards soybean. It's starting to get a little ahead and, and, and less upfront cost. So, 
this is here in the next month is when we really see how that game is played. But sitting as we are right now, I think we're looking at 1.5 million acres and if soybean surge, we're going down. If those prices stay kind of stagnant or certainly hope not drop back at all, any then 1.5 million acres may become the baseline for our rice acres in the state this year. The Division of Agriculture is always uh, experimenting and developing new cultivars, new varieties of rice uh, that will offer better production. And I see where uh, a new high-yield, long-grain, clear-field variety uh, will be available to rice growers uh, in, uh, in 2021. Not this year necessarily, but it's, it's coming down the pike. Can you talk about that new variety and, and what the Division of Ag is doing to help uh, growers with these new varieties? Yes, absolutely. So all of the Clearfield varieties are, are developed by university breeders in, in cooperation with, with BSF and, and Horizon Ag is how that works for those unfamiliar with it. Uh, and so in this case, uh, it is the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture Release, CLL-16. And this one is, is really a, a standout in, in regard to a variety and it, in its yield potential, what we've seen from it in testing, uh, it has really jumped up there tremendously uh, equal to or above the levels that, that we're usually accustomed to seeing out of, out of just conventional long-grain varieties. So uh, Diamond has become the kind of the standard from just a conventional variety standpoint, and this one is, is there or at times well above it. And again, has the Clearfield technology, you know, herbicide tolerance to go along with it. So it, it looks like a, a potentially large jump there. And so again, some something to be excited about. Just another another compliment, uh, and again, another one of that's actually one of several uh, new varieties that our, our U of A uh, breeders have are, are currently releasing. Uh, or in the process of uh, a few other ones. Not to dig into them too much, but uh, CLL-15 actually was another one just released that will be available this year uh, on a pretty large amount of acres, and then CLL-16 will also be available in 2021 equally on on a larger amount of acres. But there's also uh, conventional long grain, Jewel, which looks to have uh, pretty high yields, but also some blast resistance and, and high and content, uh, specialty markets like. And then Lynx, which is a new conventional medium grain, which is very similar to Jupiter, but has a much larger plump medium grain size that a, a lot of the medium grain markets prefer, a larger size. So there's actually been a pretty, pretty large rush uh, out, of the, out of the Division of Agriculture rice breeding programs right here, uh, putting out new options for growers. That's exciting. That's exciting to learn about, and uh, we're very fortunate to have the breeders through the uh, experiment stations and uh, the University of Arkansas, who, uh, like Dr. Moldenhauer and others, who are turning out these new varieties for the growers of our state. And, and as we know, and as our listeners should be aware by now, Arkansas produces more rice than any other state in the nation, so this is very important for production here in Arkansas. Well, Jared, it's uh, it's been raining quite a bit. We've had some kind of typical winter weather of late, but let's hope that here in a couple of months that rain will stop, the ground will dry out, and the farmers will be able to get that crop in the ground. I see where you were uh, quoted as saying that uh, the premium time to plant the crop is between March 21st and April 3rd. Those pro- that 
window right there produces the best yields. And let's hope that that certainly, unlike last year, will be the case in a couple of months. We certainly hope so. I'll, I'll add to that. That's that's where the optimum window begins, depending on what you're planting, but really on through the middle part of April. So uh, just to, to focus on the early side, <laughs> we'll say it would generally be the, uh, the, the, the best time to try to get rice in the ground. It's still wet. I'm optimistic that we're going to get a, you know, a dry run here in the yeah. next two months. Yeah. To get a lot of work done, uh, I'm I'm going to stay that and stay optimistic until it makes me not be. Uh, <laughs> that that we'll that we'll find that window to get in, and I, I'll just add in one one more uh, reminder, kind of from the breeding program standpoint, that uh, we're we're again very appreciative again of Arkansas Rice checkoff dollars that that are uh, a partner with the with yes. the Division of Agriculture for that rice breeding program. Uh, to help bring these new varieties to market. I, I failed to mention that while ago, but uh, a key component of bringing those varieties to market. No doubt, and I appreciate you uh, making that point. We do appreciate the checkoff and what the rice growers do to make that research and development uh, possible for these new varieties. Well, Jared, glad you're feeling a little bit better, and uh, thanks for a few minutes of your time, and we'll look forward to talking to you as we get closer to planting season. All right, thank you very much, Ken. Been speaking with Dr. Jared Hardke, the uh, Extension Rice Agronomist for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Finally, Keith Sutton chats with Arkansas Department of Agriculture Law Enforcement Supervisor Russ Lancaster, who shares tips landowners can use to prevent timber theft problems on their farm or ranch. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and today I'm in Mountain View. I'm visiting with Russ Lancaster, who is the law enforcement supervisor for the Arkansas Department of Agriculture. Russ, welcome to AgCast. Thank you, Keith. Good to see you again. We appreciate you. We uh, had an opportunity to do a video with some of the guys in your department not too long ago, and we decided then there's so many things going on with y'all's enforcement folks, we'd like to share more of that and so today we're going to take one aspect of of what y'all do and talk about it and that's timber theft in arkansas uh i don't think a lot of people know though let's start out explain to them i don't think a lot of people realize unless they saw our video uh that there is an enforcement uh component to the arkansas department of agriculture so explain to people a little bit about your job and what you and the other guys do yes sir yes department of agriculture does have a law enforcement division we are all fully certified officers uh, we concentrate mainly on agriculture related crimes you know and that covers a wide array of things you know it could be timber theft cattle theft equipment theft you know, we still investigate wildfires, so. And there's only things. four of you for to cover the whole state, is that right? That's right. We have four full-time investigators in, throughout the state that works these crimes. Well, I don't think a lot of people know there's even timber theft in Arkansas. Let, let's kind of define, I mean, what is timber theft? How does that happen? Oh, it can be a lot of different things. You know, we receive complaints from landowners. We just work off of complaints and... Uh, it could be, you know, anywhere somebody's crossed the line and got on somebody else's property and cut some trees. It could be 
We do have actual flat out theft sometimes where a, a logger will target an absentee landowner and just go in there and cut it, you know. And, uh, pretty bold if you ask me, but um, then there's, uh, we have what we call timber theft law, and it's actually a non-payment where you have a contract with a logger to cut your timber. The money that he receives for your timber is considered to be in a trust until the landowner's paid their part. And there's a time frame, uh, 45 days, if he doesn't take care of that, then he could be prosecuted for timber theft. So maybe without getting into the, the nitty-gritty details, give an example of, of a timber theft case maybe that you've been involved with. And again, I don't want to get in the nuts and bolts, but so people kind of understand some of the things that happen. Can you give us an example maybe, Russ? Yeah, like I said, the... Uh, it could be a lot of different things, you know, but like I said, we have we do have occasional theft, just flat out theft. There's also what we call diversion, timber diversion, where they have may have several trucks on a job and they may be sending you have an agreement on where the wood's gonna go to, but they're sending wood to different places and mm-hmm. and don't report that and all that money goes in their pocket, so that's that's theft too and uh, we do see that occasionally. We've had some pretty big cases actually in the last several years on that. So we had one case, uh, several million dollars a guy had diverted. Wow, that's a lot of money that you're talking about. Yes, and he was convicted and it made So this is not, we're not just talking about some guy cut a couple of trees for firewood usually. We're talking about things that could really affect the, the landowner and their bottom line, right? Absolutely, and I don't think a lot of folks realize the value of timber, you know, depending on what it is, the species and all, but, you know, one load of hardwood logs, that's a couple thousand dollars, you know. Oh, wow. So you start, you take a big track of timber, a lot of money involved. Well, we were talking a little bit, and we brought some talking points in here. I don't think people realize y'all deal with 120 to 150 complaints each year just involving this problem. Yeah, and that's just timber complaints, yes. And and that's a lot of money, too, right? Uh, how much does that account Well, I mean, we're, we're able to, you know, sometimes... Uh, we get involved, they work it out, or they go civil or criminal, whichever way it goes. We're usually, we average recovering about $500,000 restitution for landowners each year. That's just- That's huge. Year. Sometimes more, sometimes less. So, you know, it's good to help folks and we're glad that we're able to do that. I think people just don't know about this. I think it's one of those problems, unless you've had it, maybe you probably haven't that's, even heard about correct. it. That's correct. You know, unfortunately, you know, uh, loggers sometimes will uh, approach landowners, you know, about their timber, you know, and they really don't know what they got. And I see a lot of that. So there's a lot of things people can do to help themselves, you know, when they decide to sell their timber. Well, let's let's talk about some of those things. So, so if I'm a landowner and I'm thinking about doing that, what are some guidelines you might offer that would help me avoid having some of these problems? Yeah, certainly uh, the most important thing is always have a written contract. We have so many folks that come to us and it's just a verbal agreement, you know, and you know as well as I do, that can change after things happen, you know. What what was said in the beginning might change when, when we go see them, you know. So Absolutely. it really makes our job a lot harder. So if it's spelled out on the contract and it's got signatures and all, you know. Always get it in writing. Always get it in writing and be very specific to what you want done. 
how it's going to be done, when it's going to be done, you know, um, you know. And one thing I would really want to include in that is that there is a law in Arkansas the boundaries have to be ascertained before timber harvest. So, you know, I'd want that, you know, to be in there. That, Does that uh, mean that uh, a person would need to have his property surveyed probably, done correctly? Yes, uh, the law reads if your property hasn't been surveyed, you desire to cut timber. If it hadn't been surveyed, it needs to be surveyed or rely on existing boundaries in good faith or having a signed document with the adjoining landowners where the property lines are at. So, you know, it's very important that before any trees are cut, those boundary lines are, are marked. Well, and that is protecting all the other exactly. landowners exactly. as well, so you don't get over on their property exactly. and accidentally do something you wouldn't want to do. And it happens do. a lot. We see it all, we see it all the time. Well, it, it would seem like sometimes these are more, these could be an innocent mistake, but that's why we're wanting to share some of this information so people will avoid those mistakes. Absolutely. What What are some of the other things that, that we ought to know if we're... Yeah. Um, I'll, there's a lot of good forestry consultants in the state. If you have, you know, a lot of times people don't know the value of their timber when they sell it. And so after it's over with, they get to thinking about it or they talk to somebody and say, man, you didn't, you got cheated, you know, you didn't get enough out of your timber. So you need to know what your timber's worth before it's cut, you know. So there's a lot of forestry consultants in the state you could you can hire and they'd help you with that. They'd come up with a value, a volume, you know, and you can, so, you can work with them and they'll help you with your timber sale and it's all agreed upon up front. So it's almost like uh, if you were selling a home, you'd want to have it appraised and know what is it valued. And you can do that with your timber too. They come out and they'll do a volume. They'll do a crew, what's called a timber cruise, and they'll have a volume and they'll know everything about it. And, and, you know, they could do a timber sale. There's two different ways you can do it, pay as cut or an upfront timber sale where you get your money up front before the trees are cut. So you don't have to worry about, did they cheat me out of any loads or this and that. Right. Wow, see, all of this is things that, uh, you know, as a landowner, it, it's really important for you to understand some of this. And you want to manage your timber, you know. Uh, depends on, you know, like I said, some, some tracks are really small, but, you know, it's good. You need to manage your timber. There are certain ways that, you know, you might want it to be cut. You know, it depends on your objectives and what you have in mind with your harvest. So, for example, uh, maybe you might want to do, uh, instead of a total clear cut, you might want to do uh, thinning for maybe that would benefit wildlife or something like right. that, right? You know, wildlife benefits or, you know, to do a select cut where you're just going to always have some timber. You know, you got to give the other trees room to grow, so you take out the ones that need taken out, and then you'll be on a cycle then, you know, ever say every 10 years, you probably have a little timber to cut. So again, it's important maybe to involve some professional help, uh, yes. people who can tell you the things you don't understand. Exactly, I highly recommend that because uh, a lot of folks just don't know, and and they, it's after the fact when they realize what they've done, you know. And, Do you ever see a, a case where somebody maybe uh, puts a road through on somebody's property that shouldn't be there, uh, something like that. What are some of the other things you see? Yeah, we see that, you know, they want to access a track of timber or whatever, and so they'll take a dozer or whatever in there and do some clearing, which is damaging and destroying your trees. So that becomes a criminal mischief type issue, you know. So we also can make criminal cases on those types of incidences. What are some of the other things we ought to talk about, Russ? 
Yeah, like I said, I, I make sure there's a written contract, forestry consultant, and um, you know, monitor this, monitor the harvest. You know, keep records. You need to kind of be a part of all yeah. that, don't you? You don't need to just leave them out there That's alone. Right. You should be out there seeing what's going on and checking on what's Keeping happening. Up with the loads, you know, you had, you know, put up cameras on the act where they're going in and out or. This, you know, and the forestry consultant, if he's, if he's helping you, he'll, you know, most likely he'll be helping you do all that. I remember when we uh, shot the video with you guys, y'all did mention several times that using uh, like a game cam type of thing is helpful in some situations. Where, where would you use something like that, uh, Russ, uh, putting up cameras and Yeah, such? you know, they look like, like when you get a timber harvest, they're going to have a loading area, you know, uh, where they're going to be loading the trucks and all. That's a good spot for something like that. And also where the trucks are hauling in and out. Right. Need something on that road, you know, that way if there's a question and you can look back at the, at the pictures and say, okay, we had three loads yesterday or what have you, you know. Just helps you to keep on top of things, right. so to speak. So if you get to question something, you know, you can, it gives us a lot, of, it helps us a lot, give us a head start on the case for sure. So what happens if I, I have a problem? So do I call you guys or do I call my local sheriff first or, or how does that work? Yeah, um, if it's something actively going on, you know, you see an activity right there, yeah, please contact your local sheriff first because, you know, you might tell them where our guys will be, but then you can contact us and we'll work together with the sheriff's office and help them or, or work the case ever how it needs to be done. Can you tell folks, uh, let's let them know now, get their pencils ready. How would they call you guys when they get to that point? You can contact us at uh, agriculture.arkansas.gov. That's uh, our website. And you can go in there. You'll find the law enforcement tab. Click on that, and then you'll see file a complaint. And so it gets just asking you your basic information, name, address, you know, on what your complaint is. And then that'll be sent to our headquarters and it'll be assigned to the officer that works that area. And I do recall, y'all are pretty prompt about responding to to those things. It's not like it's going to take months or years. You're going to be within a few days getting in touch We're going to get in people. touch, yeah. Make it, At know, least make that initial contact. Get that initial contact, see what you got going and see how we need to start working it. Like I said, we are working multiple cases at a time. Right. So we will... Up front, yes, we will be in touch soon. Well, we need to be sure people do understand. We said it before. Timber theft is just one of the things that y'all are involved with. You're involved with so many others. We'll hopefully talk about more of these. We hope uh, we can make this a series and uh, periodically do these podcasts where we're sharing information about things like timber theft to help people avoid problems. Yes, and we're, we're glad that the Farm Bureau and you guys are helping us get the word out because a lot of folks aren't aware of us, you know, and we're here to help folks and we want people to know that. Another way you can contact us is through our dispatch center and that number is 501-332-2000. And uh, they will, you call them, tell them what you got going, then they'll contact one of us and we'll be in touch with you. Go ahead and give that number one more time for these folks so they can write it down. That's our dispatch center. It's 501-332-2000. Very good. Well, we want people to understand that there's help out there if they need it. Y'all will also, let's say uh, 
somebody's got a tract of timber and they're trying to manage it to have a cut later. Uh, if they needed uh, some advice, can they just call you guys and, and, and get you to talk with them a little bit? Yeah, that and, would be our forestry division. Uh, okay. Get on the, uh, the Department of Ag website, you'll see the forestry division. And they have, each county has a forester assigned to a county, and you'd contact them and they'd come out. Uh, they can do you a manage, what they call a management plan, help give you some ideas. You don't have to do anything, but they kind of tell you what you have and what you could do with it, see what your goals is, and they'll work with you on that. So there's a lot of help available there from is. the Arkansas Department of Agriculture. Absolutely. That's one of the biggest things we hope people realize from listening to this podcast and the ones we hope to do in the future. We want them to know, call, y'all are available to help, and there's all kinds of help. And That's this right. is just a part of that. And we're glad to help. And we appreciate y'all helping us get that word out. Very good. Well, we're going to get this out there to them, and we'll hope to talk to you again sometime in the near future, Russ. Absolutely. Thank you, Keith. We appreciate you guys. Thank you very, very much. That will do it for this week's Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with more stories and news from the state's largest industry.